My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the speaking pastor here. I just am uh, just deeply moved by, by this worship. And by just people coming together and, and worshiping Jesus Christ and doing it with all their heart and all their, their, their soul. I've had a, a, just an incredible week. I'm just overwhelmed by Jesus. I'm just overwhelmed with Jesus. Amen? And I had a, a, a sermon planned, um, Hebrews chapter 3, it's there in your bulletin, but yeah, it's not going to happen. It's a, it's a good sermon, come back next week, you'll get it. But this morning I just have got something on my heart, and um, to get at it I want to read a different passage of scripture, Mark chapter 6. Uh, I'll just read two verses here, verses 5 and 6. He's in Capernaum, his hometown. But it says this in Mark chapter 6, He could not do any miracles there. Look at those words. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. just want us to know there this, that... Jesus Christ, God incarnate, comes to his hometown. And whereas he's been doing a lot of miracles and a lot of stupendous things, a lot of deliverance up to this point in time, here he's not able, he's not able to do any miracles. Now, was it because he lacked the power? No. But it's because God has set things up, apparently even in the ministry of Jesus, so that things are, are done according to faith. And where there is no faith, God has bound himself to this, no miracles occur. God wanted to do miracles. Jesus wanted to do miracles. But the lack of faith prevented them from seeing what other towns had seen. He wants to see that there. Where there is faith, Jesus explodes with ministry. Where there is no faith, they saw a few healings here and there, but compared to what God had been doing and what God wanted to do here, they saw nothing. See the centrality, the importance of faith there. A contrasting account is found in Mark chapter 9 where a father brings his demon-possessed boy to the disciples of Jesus and says, will you cast this demon out of my son? And they try to cast the demon out, but it doesn't work. We don't know how long they tried, but the demon did not come out. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and the father comes to Jesus, explains the situation, and Jesus says in around verse 18 or so, you unbelieving generation... Showing that it was the lack of faith on the part of the disciples and the lack of faith primarily on the part of the people around that prohibited this boy from being freed. And just know this, let it land. Our faith does not just affect us, it affects others. The intensity, the scope, the quality, the extremity of our faith or the lack of it affects not only ourselves, but it affects others. It wasn't the lack of faith on the part of this boy that, pre that prevented him from being freed. It was the lack of faith on, uh, on the part of everyone else. When we come together, and even when, we, most importantly, when we leave here, we've got to know that it's crucial, it's vital. 
If we want to see the hand of God move, it's vital that we have faith, that we exercise faith. Not just so that we will get blessed, but so that others will get blessed as well. We're in this thing together. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? And the man answered, from childhood. The word there can mean from an infant. Try to theologize that. I can't. This demon has often thrown him into the fire and in the water to kill him. But if you, can, if, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. His father's saying, if you can do anything. And Jesus says in verse 23, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Everything is possible for him who believes. Not because faith is so powerful, but because the God in whom you put faith is so powerful. Everything is possible to him who believes. But without faith, you can do nothing. Let me pray. Father, I just would pray that you would give me the composure to speak the words here that you've put on my heart to speak. Lord God... Just move here, Lord. Just be present here, Lord God. Just be intense here, Lord, as you have been in the worship service, Lord God. Flow over this place and baptize us in your spirit and make us radical soldiers for Jesus. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen because we are an amening church. Let me, let me back into this this way. I want to just give you a little, little thing here. Last week I, I, I preached this message about entering Canaan. And to be honest, honest with you, the, the, last night the Lord just kind of said, I want you to preach that message again. <laughs> uh, you know, we're really into variety and, 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 and not re repeating ourselves or whatever, but you know, look at how many times the Bible repeats itself. The Lord sometimes says, yeah, I'll say it once, and if you don't quite get it, I want to say it again. Because see, a sermon as opposed to teaching is not about conveying information. It's about being used of God to make an impact, to make a transformation. And I just felt the Lord saying in so many words here, uh, we need to savor this one. Don't move on. We need to say it again in a different way. Uh, you, 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 we, this is the time. This, you need to savor this. This is, I, I believe, a turning point for us. Let me share with you what, what's been going on this week, that, that just a little nutshell here that has brought me to the place I am right here this morning. I've just seen God moving in some incredible ways. We mentioned at the end of, of last week this Phelan Center. Just, just mentioned it as, as something that maybe, maybe, we don't know, but maybe God's moving us in this direction. And I still, I want to say this up front, I don't know if that's God's will. It may be that God's using this Phelan Center right now um, as, as, as just a catalyst for us to focus our vision. Maybe it's kind of a, more of a symbol of what we're to be uh, as opposed to a little, literal place that we're supposed to go. But maybe it is the place we're supposed to go. But this week, I've just think things fallen into place. The ministry team is beginning to pull together a, 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 with increasing clarity the vision uh, that, that, that God's moving us to. God's been just do, dropping some things on, on Barry Jass, uh, and he's been sharing it with us, and there's just been this resonation like, man, that hits, man, that hits solid. Just a piece of, of what God wants us to be, and it is unusual. It is unusual. God raising up people, stepping forward after last week's message. People beginning to say, you know what? I want to be counted. People beginning to understand that Christianity is not a sitting thing. It's not a pupitator thing. It's not a spectator thing. It's a doing thing. It's not just what you believe, but it's acting out your faith, praise God. And people are beginning to step forward saying, I'll be counted. Where you need me, I'll, I'll stand in the gap. Blowing me away how God's moving in people's lives. 
talking to city officials. I can't go into this all right now, but just I know some of you are praying just because I'm seeing the fruit of it. A lot of us are seeing the fruit of it. I, did, I just got to say, I don't know where to start with this, but just to say that I have been blown away to the max seeing God working in some of these city officials' minds. I mean, and I don't know where we're going to go with this. God gives us information on a need-to-know basis. All I know is when he says, put this foot forward, you take it. And when he says, put this foot forward, you take it. So I don't know where the end is. I follow a Lord, we follow a Lord, who tends to be a little bit unpredictable. But I know, I'll tell you this, the, the steps here, amen, the, the steps we've been taking, it's just been, the way God's been opening doors, it's been amazing. I mean, we've gone from this sort of stance that we're going to have a pond there. They want to build a pond there and, and plow the whole thing over. And that was sort of a dead set thing. We got the money for it. We're not going to give the money back. We're going to do this. To now, just sharing the vision with these people. We got a lot more to do, but just sharing the vision. The possibility is there. It has been, in a short, short span of time, a tremendous turnaround. To the point where one city official said this, uh, I wonder if I'm not here providentially. Maybe God's put me here just to see this thing happen. I... I don't know where all this is leading, but I, I know this. On Friday, I, I just took off of work. I, I just felt uh, impressed in my spirit. I and another person, I just got this other person, Paul Eddy, who's heading up, or one of the he people heading up our, our adult ministry uh, program here on, on Sunday morning. And uh, we just went over to the Phelan Center and just walked the place and prayed the, over the place. Just walking, just saying, God, give us a vision, open up doors. And, you know, we weren't loony, raising our hands and selling flowers and stuff. But just in our inner spirit, walking around praying. And I don't know if it's symbolic or, or if it's literal, but there is such a sense, God, God's spreading it around, of expectancy, of anticipation here. Of anticipation. I'll tell you this, as we were praying out there in that parking lot, and just kind of getting a picture of what God could do if this is what God decides to do. And if we're willing to, to walk where God wants us to walk. You know, the parking lot there, in fact, part of some of the buildings are caving in. That's part of the problem. It's, it's sinking. It's sinking. They didn't build a good enough foundation. A sermon comes up. And see, they want to solve this problem by getting rid of the sinking, by putting in a pond. Something that would be refreshing to this community. Something that would be life-giving. Something that would lift. There's such a heaviness there. Go down there and, and walk and pray it. And there's an oppressiveness there. It's felt in many different ways, economically, socially, and spiritually, it's oppressive. Churches are folding, they're bailing out, or they're uniting, the congregations are dwindling. And it's sinking there. And in the natural, you'll say, well, how can we prevent this sinking uh, of this parking lot? And in the natural, you think, well, maybe we've got to buttress it up, but that's too expensive, so maybe we've got to just renovate the whole thing and put it in a pond. But I'm praying out there, me and Paul Eddie are praying out there, and, you know, it's just, it's so symbolic. The place is sinking, and not just physically. There's a hole there, there's a cavity there, there's a hunger there, there's a longing there. And as I was standing outside the store, seeing these people going in and out, I'm thinking to myself, man, the harvest is ripe and these people need Jesus Christ. And they don't need it by putting up a literal rock underneath, they need to go to the rock, amen? They need to have something to stand on. The rock of society has let these people down, and the rock of welfare isn't doing a very good job either, and the rock of this and that and the other governmental thing is falling flat on its face, face. They need a solid, sure rock, something that's going to give them the life and the joy and the peace and the power and the victory that we're experiencing here this morning. They need that. And they need, they need a pond. They need a pond. 
They need water. They need something to give them life. And you know what? I think these city officials are, are, are tuning into the right thing. This is what we need. The water they need is not the water they're going to get from a swamp. Jesus said, believe in me, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water unto life eternal, praise God. Hallelujah. And if you drink of this water, he says to the woman at the well, if you drink of this water, John chapter 4, you will never thirst again. They need a refreshing. St. Paul needs a refreshing. Minneapolis needs a refreshing. There's a thirst. Parson is there. A spiritual parson. And they need to drink. And it's just, God is raising up here a people who know what it is to drink of that well, to have that joy, to have that victory, and know what it is to have a burden for people who don't. Know what it is to have people out there who say, my, my tongue is being tormented into flame. Give me a drop of water to cool it off and have a heart to bring it to them. And it just might be, I don't know, no one knows just yet. We take our orders as they come. But that God wants this body of people to be a center there of water, of life of explosion, river of joy, flooding out into those housing projects and into that community. Whether that's literal or figurative, I know this. I know this, that God is, that this, this body of people, there's a unique role that God has called us to play. And I, I just feel this so big. I know for sure that God has raised this up not to be another little separate congregation doing ordinary church stuff. I know for sure that God wants to use this body of people, this church, to be a catalyst for other churches to experience revival. I know for sure, and those in leadership know for sure, it's a growing sense in the people of God that God is calling this body to just be a wall-tearing-down body of people who know what it is to be sold out and know what it is to be surrendered and know what it is to be radical for the Lord and to be used to build ministry throughout the Twin Cities. God wants a revival here, amen? He wants a revival here. Not just in Woodland Hills. If Woodland Hills isn't going to do it, bury Woodland Hills. God's interested in the team throughout the Twin Cities and he wants a spark plug for the thing and I think we're supposed to be part of that spark plug. And not in any way that we would ever get credit for it. And maybe that there's some other body that's going to actually be the mover and shaker of it. But we have a vital role to play. See God move in a way that very few people in their lifetime ever get to see. I really believe there's a revival almost every century. You hear about the first great awakening, the second great awakening. God moves and, and you hear about the incredible things that God does. I want to be a part of that, don't you? I want to see that. And God is, I think, putting this in our court, a moment of opportunity. But as we said last week, here's the thing, the ball's in our court, here's the if. Will we believe with an outrageous faith for God to do what only God can do? And will we act with an outrageous act, with outrageous works, to do what only God can do? I want to talk about that thing. Jesus entered into his homeland. And he could not, could not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. But where there was faith, Jesus did many, many miracles. So the question comes to be this. Jesus always said, according to your faith, be it unto you. The word there literally means in proportion to your faith, be it unto you. 
according to the measure of your faith, according to the depth of your faith, according to the extent and the scope and the quality of your faith, according to the radicalness of your faith, be it unto you. You want to see God do radical things? He's got more than enough power to do it. The question is, do you have the faith to match up to his power? Is your faith according to God's power, or is it according to our limited thinking? In proportion to, in measure of, your faith being unto you. So the question is this. Are we going to be the people that has enough faith to do the outrageous, to see God do the outrageous? The last church I came from, before we moved out here to Minnesota, uh, I was an associate pastor in this church. And uh, when we first got there, it was a little tiny Pentecostal church tucked away in this very poor location, downwind from this refinery, stunk to high heaven, and we had a service across from a graveyard that was depressing. It was a miserable thing, but 100, 100, 150 people, and it was poor. But the pastor of this church, David Farina, was a man of vision. And six years before I ever got there, he came down the road and stopped at a stoplight and turned over and there was a supermarket there and something in the spirit said, you are to claim that supermarket for Jesus. That this is going to be your house of ministry in the future. So he just began to pray on it. Didn't tell a whole lot of people, but just began to pray on it. But he got, when he got back to his office, he wrote a letter to the owners of this. It was an Acme supermarket. Acme's real big out east on the east coast. And said, hey, do you want to get rid of your building? Now, now he, he had no money. No resources, nothing. It was a poor congregation, but just said, are you interested in getting rid of your building? He didn't get an answer. Every six months, he'd write a letter to these people saying, are you interested in, in getting rid of your building? Because I'm interested in getting it. All the while having no money. But he began to, you know, install a vision into people. What would, it, you know, just think about this. Uh, it, you know, what would it look like for us to move in there? Would God be moving here? And there's kind of a confirmation. So this little bunch of Pentecostal people began to pray about this thing. Start installing the vision. Every six months, writing a letter. The thing went through a couple of ownerships. When, it went, when I got there, it had been six years that he'd been praying this way, and uh, it was owned by the Jewish war veterans, and they had bingo, it was a bingo hall. He, he told me about this. He says, every, every six months I write a letter. He showed me all of his letters. They're all almost identical, saying, I really am interested if you want to get rid of it. He'd been saving his pennies up. He had about $200,000, which is nothing if you're going to get into that, that supermarket. A year after I got there, all of a sudden, a scandal breaks out in this uh, bingo hall. Among the leaders, there's some cheating and all sorts of stuff goes down. Major lawsuits erupt. They're at each other's throats. Their lawyer says, we got to dump this thing yesterday. What are we going to do with it? We don't have time to advertise it. Da -da 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 -da. Well, we got this guy who's writing us all these letters. <laughs> I remember the time that David Freena came into his office, and I was there, and he, he was just like, he was like, I feel like this time myself, quivering just because of the excitement. He says, I just got a call. They want to get rid of the building fast. They'll deal, they said. That's their word. We will deal. <laughs> the bottom line is this. This little congregation that now had gone to maybe 250 moved into for an astronomical cost, I mean, for a ridiculously low cost, got into this, this supermarket, 200 little people, but then God began to build this thing and grow this thing. This guy was not an eloquent speaker, believe me. I, I, he'd be the first one to admit it. He couldn't make a point of his life depended on it. It's like, well, what was that sermon about? But you know what? He had a vision. I'm, I'm not kidding. You always wondered. But he had a love and he had a vision and a faith to go along with it. Where people have faith, you don't need a lot else. Amen. God will take care of the rest. So the question is, do you have faith? Do you have faith to walk in where God's telling you to walk? God's asking us this question. There was a revival that happened in northern Mexico in 1972. It started in 1972. I've seen the documentary of this. It started in this little tiny uh, charismatic Catholic church. 
in northern Mexico. The Catholic Church sent, uh, they always do this, where there's a report of a miracle, they send out some cardinals to, to investigate it, to verify it. And they're pretty tough on these things. More often than not, they say no. In this case, the cardinals that went to investigate it were blown away by what they saw, and they made a documentary of it. It's called Viva Cristo Rey. Maybe some of you have seen this. A powerful documentary. This little congregation, it goes like this. Uh, they had about 25 people in this congregation. They were poor, just desperately poor. But they were having a prayer meeting one time, and somebody read out of the book of Luke where, where Jesus says, when you throw a party, when you throw a banquet, don't invite your friends, because everyone does that. Go out into the highways and byways and invite those who are poor and those who are strangers, aliens. The lady just read that. She goes, you know what? I have never in my life done that. And they began to pray, and a prophecy came. And the Lord said, you are to do this. Go out and... Uh, uh, this Thanksgiving, which was two weeks away, go out and throw a party and invite the strangers. In fact, the Lord told them to go out in the middle of this dump and throw a party. There was a dump there, and there were what they called the dump people who lived in this dump. They lived off the scraps of others, the poorest of the poor, living under cardboard roofs. So they decided to spend whatever money they had to buy a couple of hams and a, and a couple of, of turkeys, thinking there'd be about 30 people down in this dump, because that's all they ever saw at one time. They went down there with this food and say, hey, we're going to have a free meal. 300 people show up. In fact, it turns out there was a war going on between the two sides of this dump, and they met here at the table. And they said, well, we only have you know, a couple of hams and turkeys, but we'll just we'll feed, you know, whatever we'll, we'll do, we'll feed. God there began to multiply the ham and multiply the, the turkey. You, you get a testimony. The guy who was cutting it, he says, I tell you, I'd cut it and it would just come back. I'd cut it and it would come back over and over again. And God began to multiply that, you see, because where there are people who have a radical faith and are willing to do radical things, God shows up and does radical miracles with it. So they begin to feed all these people. To make a long story short, I mean, the, the, a city official found out that they were doing, they, they started going there on a daily basis and ministering to these people, began to just preach the gospel to them, began to turn this dump into a city. A, a, a town at first, they, began to, they, 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 got a, they got a doctor saved and, and built this medical center or whatever. This government official came there because it wasn't zoned for a church, it was zoned for a dump, and he wanted to turn it back into a dump. So much for politics. The guy comes and he ends up getting saved. So he rezones the thing, turns it into uh, to a zoning for a church, and they have this incredible revival breaking out, and it's going on to this day. It started 25 years ago. But it's all because some people in this little tiny Catholic church had the radical faith that said, you know what, if the Lord says to do it, maybe we should do it, step out on it, and see what will happen. So the question is this. How big is our faith? I just feel this. How big, how extreme how wide is our faith? Do we have the faith to say, God, if it's your will, and if you turn a green light on, we're going to make sure that it's you that's turned the green light on and not anyone's ambition. But Lord, if it's your green light to go into this Phelan Center, do we have the faith to see that being turned into a Christian mall or a Christian center with all sorts of ministries coming out of there? To see that, to see that uh, athletic fitness center there, you I encourage you to go down there and just drive around and pray to, to, to get a word and tell us about it. Do you feel a confirmation on this? But can you see that as a youth center where these, there's such a gang problem there and a racial problem there, a youth violent crime problem there. The kids coming off the street and going into this gym, can you see it? Having a club where we have Christian bands there every night and rooms for people to counsel in, can you see that? A place where they have an open gym and they can play basketball and lift weights and, and, and maybe have bungee cords or whatever else is necessary to make it so fun that these kids come off the street and then come under the influence of the gospel of Jesus Christ and get saved. Can we see that? 
Can you see that big building just being turned into an auditorium there where this erupts with praise as people come in, the black and the white and the Hispanic, the Asian, the rest, coming in together and worshiping Jesus Christ like we did this morning. And can you see the, 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 the home for, for, uh, for unwed uh, mothers and, and a women's shelter there and a drug rehab center there and maybe a, a, a low-income daycare there and on and on and on. Do you have the faith for that? Without faith, it will never happen. And I don't know if it's there that we're going to do that, but wherever we go, that's what we got to be doing. That's what the gospel is all about. Some Western guy thought of this idea that you reach the soul, but don't touch the rest of a person. But the Bible doesn't have any kind of conception like, conception like that. The way you demonstrate the reality of the gospel is by showing the love of Jesus Christ concretely in action. God cares if you're, not, if you're hungry. God cares if you're living in a dive. God cares if your kids aren't being taken care of. God cares about that. Let us show you how much he cares. There's the faith there. But faith, the Bible says, without works is dead. And so the correspondence to an outrageous faith is this. We have a willingness to have outrageous action to back it up. Outrageous action. If you want God to move in an outrageous way, you've got to be willing to exercise an outrageous faith and then put it into life with an outrageous action. Here's what we've got to see, you guys. The Lord... The Lord God Almighty is an outrageous God. He left heaven to become a human being. That's outrageous. The creator of the universe became one of us. That's outrageous. But it didn't stop there. He died a hellish death on the cross, bearing our punishment. That's outrageous. It doesn't stop there. As, as I understand the Bible, he descended into the enemy's territory, in the lower regions, into the pit of hell. God Almighty descends into hell. That's outrageous. It's, it's, it's incredible. And now here's what we got to hear, and hear it really straight. Holy Spirit, help us to hear it straight. His spirit is inside of us. His spirit. That means his heart is inside of us. His passion is inside of us, if we will listen to it, if we will yield to it. The character, the heart, the passion of the God who came down and became a man and died on the cross and descended into hell is inside of us. That means there's something inside of us that knows that that's the right thing to do, to do the same thing, to imitate God, as Ephesians 5 says. And so the outrageous God creates an outrageous people if there are people who are willing to be outrageous. Hallelujah. You got it. I'd say that writing letters to a supermarket when you don't have a diamond they don't want to sell is outrageous. But that's how the kingdom of God is built. I'd say that coming going into a dump with a bunch of turkeys is outrageous. But that's how the kingdom of God is built. Last week... A person came up in the, in the visitor's room and just said, you know what, I, 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 a young lady said, I came into a little bit of money uh, a little while ago, and I've just been praying, God, what do you want me to do with it? But I'll tell you this, when, when you were mentioning that, that, that youth facility uh, over there, uh, they had a green there, so I want you to know if you go there, I got $100,000 to put toward it. That's outrageous! But that's how the kingdom of God is built. That's how the kingdom of God is built, by people willing to do outrageous sorts of stuff. People being woken up at night and praying throughout the night. That's outrageous, but that's how the kingdom of God is built. One guy in this church is fasting. He's been fasting for a month from, morning, from sunrise to sunset, fasting for the church. That's outrageous, but that's the kind of thing that, that, that forms the kingdom of God, that builds the kingdom of God. People willing to do outrageous stuff. And it happens in literal ways, too, as long as you're just walking with the Spirit and are being outrageous about it. A person comes to church. This isn't hypothetical, no. It's what he has in their mind to give $100 in the offering. But somebody in the congregation catches their attention. 
And they hold back on that. And after service, they go up and introduce themselves, start talking to them. They find out this person didn't advertise it, but there's some real needs there. Gives them the $100. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. Moving in the spirit, walking in the spirit. And wherever God tells you to go, you go. You just obey one step at a time. Kingdom of God is built like that. Outrageous faith leading to outrageous action. There is inside of us the spirit of God that says imitate what God does. Imitate what God does. God descends into hell. He calls us to descend into hell, to be looking for that. See, this whole thing confronts a spirit that is so strong here in the Twin Cities, here in St. Paul in particular. It's a spirit of mediocrity, a spirit of apathy, and it is strong. It's a spirit that says, you know what, just do the safe thing. It's a spirit that says, always do Minnesota nice above all else. That's the highest criteria. It's a spirit that says, you know, don't try to break down cultural walls because blacks like to worship with blacks and whites like to worship with whites. If you start mixing it together, you're going to lose both. Just play it safe. A spirit that says, you know what, uh, if you go in too deep into the city, you're going to lose the suburbanites, and they got the deep pockets, and so you, you, know, you want to cater to them, and they like soft pews, so keep the pews soft. They like nice field Germans, so don't be offensive. But somebody show me a verse in the Bible that says that we're called to be nice. Show me a verse in the Bible that says we're called to the status quo. Show me a verse in the Bible that says that we're called to play it safe. What I see is people stepping out on water and walking in the middle of a storm. What I see is people throwing over the nets when they've been fishing all night already and they haven't caught a thing. But they do it because the Lord says to do it. God calls us to move out of our comfort zone like he moved out of his comfort zone. And he calls us to do it in an outrageous way. Amen? In fact, what I do, I'll show you a verse. You want a verse? I'll show you a verse. (laughs) Jesus says, Upon this rock that we sang about, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We are to be, here's the verse, we are to be storming down the gates of hell. We are to be holding battering rams and running up against the gates of hell and pounding those gates of hell. We're to be tearing down strongholds. We're to be vanquishing the enemy. But you know what? How are you ever going to tear down the gates of hell unless you're looking for it? If you're trying to run away from hell, trying to run away from inconvenience, trying to run away from discomfort, trying to live the American dream, you're going in the wrong direction, folks. We're supposed to be looking for hell. We're supposed to be hell raisers. We're supposed to raise a little bit of hell. That's what the church is for, right there. Amen. Worship team, get ready. Norm, you decide the song. But I go to the rock comes to mind. (laughs) The spirit of this age, and it affects all of us. It affects all of us says, me first, convenience first, comfort first, safety first. We want our cake and eat it too. You guys, we are in a war right now. And in a war, it's not the time to think about convenience. We're in a war against sin. We're in a war against poverty. We're in a war against racism. We're in a war against apathy. We're in a war against mediocrity. We're in a war against sexually transmitted disease. We're in a war against unwanted children. We're in a war against all that. Everything does not line up with the perfect will of God. We are supposed to be at war. And until God's will is done, until the kingdom is done, we are not supposed to be inconvenient. We're not supposed to be looking for our own comfort. We're supposed to be in battle. We're supposed to be smelling the breath of the enemy. We're so close we can see the whites of his eyes. We're supposed to be inconvenienced. And so God, I believe, is calling this body of people to say, are you on it or not? Will you exercise the faith, and will you be able to do the outrageous stuff? The place is sinking, and there's a stronghold there, and it is economically and socially, and there's a lot of junk going on. It's just depressed, which sounds like, and I don't know if it's symbolic or not, or it's literal, 
but that's exactly the kind of place where we ought to be setting up the kingdom of God. Amen. I want you to be praying about it. Amen. Be praying about it. Beginning the vision. Let's go to the rock, and when we go there, let's point out to join us. Amen.